This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. We're a day into Hanukkah. So, at least for me, the winter holiday season is officially underway. At this time of year, I often reflect on the way in which Christmas looms so large, even for people like myself, who grew up in a relatively insular Jewish household. As a kid, I still watched animated Christmas specials, knew other kids believed in Santa, and learned many Christmas songs just by daring to go shopping in December. This type of cultural osmosis goes way back. My own father wanted to be a priest as a kid because of his love for the Bing Crosby classic, The Bells of St. Mary's. In this week's story, Teller Koya Paz reminisces on her own childhood desire for sisterhood through becoming a nun, and how her early brushes with faith helped her understand her queerness later on. Recorded live at Haymarket Pub and Brewery in Chicago in June 2023, Second Story is proud to present Cousin Lillian. I don't think my parents knew what they were getting us into when they sent me and my sister to the Colegio Sudamericano, a private school in Quito, Ecuador, that was ostensibly non-denominational, but in practice was run almost entirely by movie nuns. You know, older women in sensible shoes and Catholic skirts and veils and rosaries that doubled as necklaces. I say movie nuns, but they existed in my real life too, smacking kids with rulers as they walked in pairs down the hallways and telling me and my sister that our Jewish father was going to hell. I never bothered to imagine anything about these women outside of resenting them at school. Had they ever been young? Why were they nuns? Where did they live? I guess I assumed they lived in ancient stone convents that were perpetually dark and damp, another image taken from movies. Outside of school, nuns had no bearing on my life. My dad is Jewish, and my mom came from a Quaker Episcopalian family, and the truth is they were both basically atheists, 70s radicals who didn't want the church or the state involved in their lives. I'm pretty sure we only went to our school for two reasons. One, they'd probably failed to notice the school was run by nuns until after we'd enrolled. Because two, it turns out there aren't really non-denominational schools in Ecuador unless you are very rich and go to an international school. For my parents, doing anything the very rich did was automatically suspicious. So it was de facto Catholic school for me and my sister, who was once asked by a classmate very sincerely where she hid her horns. In the summers, we traveled to the United States to visit family. We'd arrive in Miami and head to New York. My grandparents lived in upper New York State, but my mom always wanted to stop in New York City, where she'd gone to college and worked her way through grad school by modeling and doing random jobs. We'd go to Zabar's and maybe a museum and then drive a few more hours up to my grandparents' place. This is how it always was, year after year, always the same. Sometimes we traveled in the winter too, and it was the same plus Christmas windows and roasted chestnuts. So imagine my surprise when one visit, my mother announced kind of out of nowhere, we're going to stop and visit my cousin Galilean. Who? My sister and I asked incredulous. We had literally never heard of a cousin Lillian. Bunny, yes. Carol, yes. Thomas, yes, but Lillian, who the heck was that? 
Lillian, my mother laughed like we were the ones being weird. Your grandmother's cousin. My sister and I looked at each other and rolled our eyes. Sure, this was about to be a very boring experience. Cousin Lillian lived in an apartment building and not a very fancy one, the kind where there are a bunch of identical brick buildings clustered around a drab courtyard and you have to walk up a bunch of stairs that aren't even air conditioned. I have no doubt my sister and I complained the whole way up, but we knew to leave it all at the door, turning on a show of perfect charm and obedience anytime our parents introduced us to a new adult. And it's a good thing we did because meeting cousin Lillian was about to change my life. She greeted us at the door in jeans and a t-shirt, a much more casual outfit than any of us were wearing. I shot a resentful look at my mother who had insisted we be put together for the visit. Why was I wearing a dress and squeaky shoes to visit someone who isn't even wearing makeup? or earrings, two things my otherwise radically feminist mother insisted we never leave the house without. Cousin Lillian had short curly hair and a big wide smile with cheeks like my grandmother's. She welcomed us into the apartment with hugs like she'd known us all our lives and led us into the living room, which was also the kitchen and the dining room. Basically a small square with three doors leading off of it, one of which was a tiny bathroom and the other two were bedrooms, I think. She didn't show us the rooms, but she mentioned she lived with three other sisters. Three other sisters? That was a lot of cousins nobody ever bothered to tell us about. My mother laughed again, like we were being so silly. Not sisters, but capital S sisters. Lillian is a nun. Holy shit. <laughs> Cousin Lillian with her jeans and her t-shirt and her New York apartment was a nun? I couldn't believe it. I mean, they had a TV, a TV. I told her I didn't know nuns were allowed to wear pants and watch TVs. What do you watch? I asked. Anything we want, she said, winking at me conspiratorially. <laughs> We're only allowed to watch TV five hours a week, my sister chimed in. Yeah, I said. I'm sure that's for the best, Lillian said cheerfully, getting us some cookies. My mom and Lillian were trying to catch up. It turned out they really did know each other pretty well, but I had so many questions. How long had she been a nun? 18 years. Was being nun a job? No, it was a calling. The nuns all had jobs. What kind of jobs? Social workers. Not teachers? No. Did you ever hit anyone with a ruler? No. And you get to watch TV every night. It turned out cousin Lillian and her sisters cooked dinner together every night and then sat around reading or watching TV until they went to bed. So it's not like praying all of the time? No, it turned out not all of the time. <sighs> On the drive up to my grandparents' house, I could not get over Cousin Lillian's life. Like, I could not possibly imagine anything cooler than living in an apartment with your friends and watching TV together every night and getting to have a cool job. And sometimes, but not all of the time, praying to Jesus. <laughs> the thing is, at that point in my life, I had three great loves. One, fairies. 
Two, rocks. I really liked rocks, especially crystals, and even more especially crystal geodes, which looked like regular rocks, but could be cracked open to reveal exuberantly colorful insides. And three, Jesus. <laughs> I had loved Jesus ever since I was a very small child, much to my parents' dismay. My mom was an Easter Christmas kind of Christian and my dad wasn't Christian at all. They said things like, religion is a tool for domination and encouraged us to think about religious mythology with a critical eye. But Jesus might as well have been my imaginary friend. I caught, talked to him constantly, praying with a fervor that had seemingly come out of nowhere. Once, I even snuck out of the house to go to my friend's backyard swing set because I wanted to sing to Jesus as the sun rose, a song I made up that went something like, Jesus, I love you, you're my best friend. But I also believed in fairies, so I think my parents hoped I would eventually grow out of it. Instead, I got it into my head that what I wanted to be when I grew up was a nun. <laughs> just like Cousin Lillian, and I mean just like. Short hair, jeans, and watching TV in an apartment with three other women. I had kind of wanted to be a geologist when I grew up, but I figured social worker would be okay too. I was a little neutral on having to live in New York, but I also wasn't sure if you could be her kind of nun in other places. Like, I didn't know any in Ecuador, but maybe this was the difference between American nuns and Pope nuns. All nuns are Pope nuns, my mother insisted. But I felt sure this could not possibly be true. The nuns at my school seemed beholden to rules, to long skirts and covered hair, to a kind of strictness I found utterly uninspiring. Cousin Lillian seemed free, living a life that was different than any other life for women I had ever seen. She wasn't a mom. She didn't have a husband. She seemed to kind of do what she wanted. I was impressed. Now, it's not like I came from a conventional family. I was raised to believe girls can do anything, like be president or an anthropologist like my mother, a relatively fearless woman who traipsed around the Andes with small children in tow. So it was confusing for everyone, given all of the options in the world, all of the things available to me as the child of feminists and radicals, people who valued the arts and sciences and travel and took pride in making sure their children were educated and critical thinkers and uppity women, that I wanted to be a nun. <laughs> a nun like Cousin Lillian. That was the key, like Cousin Lillian. A woman whose domestic life revolved around other women and Jesus, frequently portrayed with his long flowing hair and kind eyes. So pretty. I don't think my parents were exactly relieved when I realized I wanted to be a lesbian. Not a nun, but it definitely made more sense. 
as a child growing up in the 80s, I knew girls could be anything, but I didn't actually know girls could be gay. Every woman I knew or saw on TV seemed to be locked into relationships with men, with their fathers and brothers and boyfriends and eventual husbands. It was both the dream, a wedding as the happy ending to so many stories and the seeming inevitability. I didn't have any models of queer women in my life, or at least none that were visible to me. And most of the alternatives to homosexual, heterosexual marriage were poised as deeply sad. The soltera, or the widow, or the pope-type nuns, severe and unsmiling. Cousin Lillian, with her cookies and TV and woman-centered life, opened up a new possibility for mine, a life defined by my relationships with women and my own sense of being in spirit with the world, where church could be an apartment in New York City or a swing set at sunrise. I didn't grow up to be a nun or a geologist or the president. <laughs> but, <Yes>. I, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> but I did grow up to be a queer woman living in a house full of uteruses, teaching theater history classes and reminding my students that queer people have always been and will always be. One of the places we look for evidence is a long legacy of radical nuns and sisters women who wanted a different life for themselves than being subject to men. I teach my students about women of Rosvit, like women like Rosvit of Gandersheim or Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz, women who defied expectations and chose their own complicated path. We read Sor Juana's poems, poems like My Lady, where she says, let my love be ever doomed if guilty in its intent, for loving you is a crime of which I will never repent. <laughs> We ask what options were available to women like Mother Superior Benedetta Carlini, an Italian nun in the late 1500s explicitly accused of having sex with a fellow nun. I ask them to imagine the lives of women at a time when to desire other women, even if that woman was yourself and no one else, was criminal, impossible in the popular imagination. This is a sad story, one of my students says, when I reveal that yet another nun we're studying died in poverty or outcast by the church. How can you think this is hopeful? I get it. It almost always hurts to look to the past for hope, one of the pitfalls of teaching history. And yet, I tell them over and over again, women have found each other, hidden their love in corners and in convents, under wraps and under veils, marrying Jesus, but consecrating their love right under the eyes of men who couldn't imagine women might choose each other. We live in a time with more possibilities, I tell my students, but being queer has always been an act of imagination, of trying what you can to be who you are, as imperfect as those strategies may be. It is an honor to our ancestors when we can live the lives we choose. Jeans, a t-shirt, other women, cookies, and unlimited TV. <laughs> This story was produced by Jenna Myers, curated by Amy Tin, and directed by Alyssa Vera Ramos. Music and sound design was by Daniel Eddie Williams. The Second Story Podcast is produced by Max Spitz. To be the first to hear about updates and new episodes, sign up for our podcast listserv at 2ndstory.com backslash podcast, or subscribe to The Second Story Podcast on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. 
second story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi Nations. Our programming is made possible by the Arts Work Fund, Walter Foundation, MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, Paul M. Angel Family Foundation, Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, James Lupo, Jessica Wetmore, Hannah and George Stowe, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this this, this is the second, second story podcast.